Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again. This is the Face of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka. I'm excited today because we're going to be talking to Angela Thurman today from Thurman Co. Or yes, Thurman Co., excuse me, uh, about implementing lean business strategies. And I'm going to tell you, Angela, I am excited because you are an expert, a guru. You've done some of the coolest things in your life that so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Damon. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. Well, Angela, as we always like to do on the Faces of Business, I would like you to start back when you were getting ready to go to school and tell us your journey through school and, and kind of catch us up to how you got to what you're doing today. Okay. So um, I grew up in Northwest Arkansas, the extreme Northwest corner of Arkansas, home of companies like Walmart, J.D. Hunt, Simmons Industries, Tyson's, some names you might be familiar with. Mm -hmm. And um, and I ended up going to school at a very small private Christian university in my hometown. And I was very, very lucky in that my professors, most of them were men that I had known from childhood I was because say. I went to school with their children. I went to church with these people. Yeah. And early on, even in high school, um, they supported me. They recognized my natural talent for math and science and so forth. And they encouraged me. And one of them even gave me a subscription to Woman Engineer magazine while I was still in high school. Yeah. And so yeah. they encouraged me to pursue a career in engineering. And that's what I did. So, um, so yeah, I uh, was the fourth woman to graduate with an engineering degree from my university. Wow. And um, the only woman in my graduating class and one of six electrical engineers to graduate from this very small school. Yeah. Meant that I had a lot of um, attention, um, direct one-to-one -one instruction from my mm -hmm. instructors and uh, just had a, a great um, time while I was at school. That really, when you said, I didn't realize until today that you went to, to your college in your hometown and mm -hmm. knowing those, those teachers and professors from a young age and having those influences, that really had to be powerful because most kids relatively no kids are going to have that kind of influence in their life from an early age saying, listen, you need to do this and go, uh, you need to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so awesome. That's yeah, so awesome. It, it, it goes even further because the professor that gave me the subscription to woman engineer magazine, um, the summer between my junior and senior years, he took me, he and his wife took me and a couple of other students from our school to Ecuador. And we worked at a missionary radio station, a shortwave radio station mm -hmm. in the Andes Mountains. And so for six weeks, there I was in this beautiful, beautiful environment at a live working shortwave radio station. And I yeah. learned so much hands-on yeah. stuff from the engineers who worked at the radio station. Things like I had to high pot all the capacitors that were in the bodega, the 
first week I was there mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure that they were still working. And this is 1940s technologies. These are vacuum tube capacitors. Yeah. And I'm like, I hope it doesn't blow up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, one day I was given the assignment to build from scratch a rectifier that had to go into the transmitter later that day. And to keep it going. To keep it going. Oh, my. <laughs> and so I had to, first of all, design the rectifier and then build it. So here I am soldering together, you yes. know, using real world skills, right? Soldering yeah. this, these um, um, resistors and capacitors together to build a rectifier. And, and then I had to install it. And while I was installing it, they had to bring the power up on this transmitter and I'm inside of this thing. Yes. And it's going live with 220 volts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it starts humming up and warming up. And oh, wow. they're like, we're gonna we're gonna go live in 20 minutes. You know, you need to get out of there. So yeah. um I had to lay down in a cable trough and shimmy down on my back while this is all live. Oh my high voltage yeah. <laughs> around me. Yeah. yeah. Don't let the workers' compensation people see that. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that experience, I um, I came away with a project for the missionaries to build them a switching power supply. And that became my senior design project. Oh, very and cool. Then, and then because of that experience, my, my senior design project of being being a switching power supply, that directly led to NASA wanting to interview me for the power management and distribution branch for the space station. And yeah. that's how I got my first job. That is such an awesome story. I I knew that you worked at the, done stuff for uh, done designed the power stuff for the space station, but I didn't recognize all the way back from being in college and doing that in Ecuador. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so cool. So as you're doing that now, you're, you're pretty humble and it's awesome. Awesome part about you. Um, but you've done some pretty incredible things. I mean, a lot let's of, talk about fun things. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun things. So let's talk about um, when you were, you you've mentioned this before, but you did something that basically changed the way that data was handled on something in the in the Georgia. Explain that project that you did there with the. I'm, I'm sorry. You did something in it, you had mentioned before when you were working for the phone company, uh, T-Mobile oh. Sprint at the time. What what did you do there? Because that thing is. That was mind blowing <laughs> what you what you were working on there. I, I see. I can't even explain it, but I, when I hear it, I go, "Oh my goodness!" So um, I was working on uh, my master's degree, which is in telecommunications management. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working for a company called Williams Communications okay. uh, in Williams, Tulsa, yeah. Oklahoma. Sorry. So my my degree is from Oklahoma State. Yeah. And um, so. What I did was to design a fiber optic network that encircled Atlanta and connected Turner Field, CNN, the CDC, the UpSouth Teleport, which is a, a satellite teleport, and several other key customers. Um, with with a fiber optic network and then back to our um, point of presence in Atlanta. So imagine that the Braves are playing a baseball game. This is how the signal, the 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 video, the broadcast mm-hmm. signal mm-hmm. gets from the Braves to um, TBS and then backhauled to be broadcast across all, you know, affiliates everywhere. Yes. So I, I negotiated the contracts for the, the fiber leases and, um, 
brought all the parties to the table, basically. Um, mm -hmm. And that became a, a metro access network. And then, um, and so that was my, my key, uh, my capstone project for mm -hmm. my master's degree, my thesis project, basically. And, and then now that's a, a commonplace um, tool yeah. <laughs> for serving yeah. large me metropolitan areas. Yes. Yeah. It's so cool. So cool that you're a part. I mean, that's just such a groundbreaking thing when you see how data is so important to us every mm -hmm. day now mm -hmm. and how it gets more and more. And yes. I, I actually, Saturday, believe it or not, I thought about this again, this project again, because I have a friend of mine who is a, I don't even know what you'd call him. He's, he is, uh, he teaches people how to use network analyzers, all different kinds, yes. fiber, Ethernet, all that kind of stuff. But, uh -huh. but uh, he does it globally. He used to travel everywhere. Now he does it virtually, but he has classes. I mean, they just go, right? But he was telling me about the fact that these these transportation projects, like we're doing one up here, it's called the the uh, light rail system that's going to run north and south in Seattle, east and west. And he's saying what these transportation projects are doing and these tunneling projects that you see, they've got these huge, you know, they've got areas for obviously cables to go through them. And he said the fact, the thing that was really uh, interesting is that there's so many people now that need these private data networks that they're they're leasing either the cable that's all the fiber optics that are all in there there or bigger corporations are putting their own through these through these um, access ways because they go right through the middle of the cities or right to the big places that they want them to go uh -huh. and, he, and and he was talking about the fact of how for here in the light rail system how much of that is actually going on now and how he is training people that are that are doing it and doing the data the data um, analysis and making sure it's all working right. But I thought about your project because wow, is has that exploded? Yes. <laughs> it took me a long time to get there, but I was I was on Saturday. I was like, wow, that was. I remember Angela talking about this, and then I hear how this is going because, yeah. Anyway, it's just like you you think about the. And the, the IOT and everything, how many, how much more data we move every single minute of every single day than we did before. So crazy. Did you ever think, did you ever think that when you were doing that, that this is like, this could be something, this, this is really going to be something crazy. No, it seemed like a one-off, you know, it didn't really seem like, like, yeah, it was going to be that big. Yeah. Yeah. But, but back in the day we used to negotiate lease rights roof to put um you know microwave stations on the roofs of buildings mm -hmm. and cable rights to go in um elevator shafts and things like that yeah so this was like taking it to another level because oh, of the data yeah. capacity yeah oh yeah 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 and uh and the same same as mike panaki is the guy's name i was talking to and mike was talking about how much the data needs have changed, like you said, for the the Braves field or somebody like that, because of the the amount of um, not just the amount of television data going into 4K and the things like they've done there. But he said amount of cell phone data that's moving back and forth and has to get in and out of those places. He said they're they're the the information movement is 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 just went through the roof, too. Yeah. So. So interesting. Well, we're not here to talk about that, but I just thought that is <laughs> such a cool thing that you've done. And then the, on the space station too, I can't, I can't, I see you're the only person I know who's done anything on the space station. So oh. I got to hear about it again, what you did. Cause I, I don't, I don't know many famous people. So. <laughs> I'm not famous. <laughs> In my mind. Oh. <laughs> Well, I, I do have a paper on my LinkedIn profile that I wrote at that time. Okay. So if you want to know about load yeah. converters, yeah, you, you can Very find all, cool. all, all about load converters on my, on my LinkedIn profile. 
I'll, I'll quit goofing around here because we came to talk about implementing lean business strategies and we got to talk about a couple other things. Now you're pretty active in women in manufacturing there in, there in Houston, correct? Yeah. So, um, I'm the, um, membership director and the treasurer for the Texas chapter of women in manufacturing. And awesome. we're getting ready to celebrate our third chapter anniversary. And nice. so it's, it's pretty exciting for us. We have about um, about a thousand Texas resident members, which is really, nice. really cool for one of the bigger chapters. Obviously, Texas is a great big state. Mm -hmm. um, but then we have uh, several hundred affiliate members. So um, members of, of women in manufacturing that have chosen to affiliate with Texas to stay current with what our chapter's doing, even though they reside in other states. Awesome. Awesome. And before we got on, you were talking about the what's happening in manufacturing in Texas and women in manufacturing in Texas. Talk about that a little bit. Well, we try to stay current with um, all the, the trends in manufacturing. And Texas right now is just exploding. We have so many new uh, manufacturers that are relocating to Texas or adding new uh, factories in Texas. Um, obviously, we've got a lot of automotive uh, that that um, takes mm -hmm. place in Texas. We've got, you know, Tesla, GM, Toyota, Kia um, here. And then uh, petrochemical is huge. Oh, yeah. Dow and BASF right here in Houston. And then, of course, oil and gas is everybody knows about oil and gas yeah, yeah. And, and throughout Texas. But then something that a lot of people don't really realize is that Texas is also a huge hub of the semiconductor industry. So we have one field of semiconductor companies in uh, North Texas, like from uh, Denton or Sherman uh, south into Dallas, and then another hub in Austin. So we've got um, companies that you might be familiar with, like two, um, Texas Instruments, pretty much everyone's heard of them. But we've yeah. also got On Semiconductor, 2.6, NXP, um, and, and many, wow. many other semiconductor companies and the companies that support them throughout um, Texas. Mm -hmm. And then with the, um, the passage of the CHIPS Act, uh, other companies are coming to Texas. I, I think Global Wafer has committed to build a big, big factory, uh, a new clean um, yeah. semiconductor manufacturing company here um, in Texas as well. Yeah, because those aren't those aren't. I mean, that's not a fifty dollars investment. I mean, that's those, yeah. you're going to put up a chip factory. It, it's some serious zeros behind it. It is. It is. Yeah. So that's, that's tremendous cool. growth for our economy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you excited about as you think of women in manufacturing overall right now? I think the growth in um, smart manufacturing and the, the new opportunities that that brings, uh, particularly for women in manufacturing, because we see the growth of new areas that um, are no longer those uh, dangerous, dirty, jobs that you traditionally associate with manufacturing, but these are mm -hmm. really cool, um, interesting jobs that pay well and that, um, you know, anyone would be interested in mm -hmm. and, um, and, and they're available here in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And that's one of the things that I always, I always love when I see people like yourself that are involved in in like women in manufacturing or just mm -hmm. anything. I mean, manufacturing extension partnerships, anything, because yes. Yes. everybody looks that do, that hasn't been in manufacturing, that doesn't understand manufacturing. When they say manufacturing, they think of the Ford plant or something like the black and white pictures of an old steel mill or something like that. And, yeah. and the amount of technology, the amount of diversified skill sets it takes to to run manufacturing now everything from from computer programmers to accountants to you know 
I don't know what, uh, just mm-hmm. IT. We were talking about just IT and, and yeah. data analyzers, just so much stuff that goes into it now that, yes, there are people making products, but there's a whole host of opportunities around the outside of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe, maybe your your skills are in marketing. Well, manufacturing needs marketing. Or yes. your skill is in contracts. Well, m- manufacturing needs leads legal analysts and, and contracts analysts. Yeah. There's no matter what you do, there is a role for you in manufacturing. That is the case. And I love I love it when we get to talk about that because there are <laughs> well, and you know, you see it. You see young children, young, younger people today might go to college and and not think of manufacturing and they could be out in and they could be in recruiting they could be want to be in marketing they could be in computers it could be in engineering it does and they go oh i or even computer programming and they go mm-hmm. oh it's like i'm gonna go here or i'm gonna go there and they don't consider it and or even people that want to go into the trades right go into yes. a, to a trade side of work be welding or whatever it is emails. <laughs> what's that CNC mills. Yeah, CNC machining, and there's so much to do, uh, and and uh, that it's sad to see someone graduate from high school or college and not find the kind of opportunity they want because they didn't understand about manufacturing and understand that. Listen, the the entry level wages in manufacturing now are so high compared to and and i could walk out with a high school degree go into manufacturing if i don't want to go to college and work in really good roles and and learn and work my way up and make a wonderful life for myself Mm -hmm. and it's just something that our children need to understand younger people need to understand and and people that are looking for a new career opportunity honestly because it's manufacturers now let's talk about that. If you're out here in, in, uh, in Silicon Valley, Southern California, and, and Meta just said they're going to lay off another 10,000 people globally. I mean, manufacturing is on the other side of this going, hey, we can't hire enough people. I don't care what you do. We can't hire enough people. Uh-huh. You know, so there's there are opportunities out there for people that want to widen their scope and, and uh, potentially look at a new industry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So you do some speaking for them too, don't you? Women in manufacturing conferences and stuff? Yeah. In fact, I had a a conversation earlier today about um, the AI in manufacturing conference that's going to take place in Dallas later this year. Awesome. Awesome. That's mind boggling what's going to happen when we really see that start to happen. (laughs) Start to run the stuff by itself. Yeah. Smart smart manufacturing, um, digital transformations that sort of thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to be really, really interesting. Yes. So as we're moving forward today, you know, you do talk about lean manufacturing as part of your women in manufacturing. A little bit. <laughs> A little bit. So what what drew you into uh, into lean manufacturing and really learning more about it? So uh, way back in 1992, I did my first value stream map for an ISO certification when I was working for a manufacturing facility that produced optical and semiconductor grade silicon and germanium. And um, I really, really enjoyed that. I loved walking through the factory and asking um, all of the workers, well, what do you do now? And then what comes next? And just trying to understand end to end Mm -hmm. what happens from the point that the raw material is delivered until the finished products are shipped to the customers. And also another map (laughs) for from the point that the customer makes an initial call until the delivered products go to the customer. Mm -hmm. So um, that was really interesting. I I enjoyed that uh, a lot. And so that would probably be my first introduction to 
value streams and, and trying to understand the manufacturing processes. Mm-hmm. And, and then from, from that point on, you know, I've just kind of always been very process oriented. Yeah. Um, I'm an engineer, got to know how things work, uh, mm-hmm. got to try and make improvements. And so that just was a natural fit for me. Um, very cool. I've got this, this cool uh, definition pulled up. I want to read to you. So lean management optimizes processes by reducing time spent on non value added tasks. So maybe that's unnecessary operations of transport, waiting, overproduction, etc. Causes of poor quality and complications. And this method is supported by an important managerial dimension to ensure employees work in the best conditions. And I love this definition because it dovetails in that aspect of considering your employees Mm -hmm. and not just your metrics. Yes. Yes. And that's one of the things that I really have always enjoyed about lean manufacturing. And then when you, when you stretch that into lean, lean business and lean business strategies is the non-value added work part of it. Yes. And it's, you're not expecting someone to work faster. You're Mm -hmm. expecting to eliminate a lot of the other stuff Mm -hmm. that distracts them from being able to get the the value added work done. Yes. And I still remember to this day, I was, I was fortunate enough. The very first introduction I had to lean manufacturing was someone that was, was part of uh, Ford when they started to introduce lean manufacturing. And this person came to us and as part of his acquisition and, and it was, um, amazing because i still remember they put something on the pay, uh, on the board and said you know how much time are you actually doing value-added work and how much time are you doing non-value-added work mm-hmm. and you look at it you go in most in most situations until they've been optimized an awful lot the non-value-added work is is the majority of the time and and i think in this case it was 80 or 90 percent it's non-value-added work and you're doing 10 or 20 value-added work the stuff that really matters and uh, they were they sat there and they said, "Listen, I I've got ten or twenty percent over here of value added work, and I've got 80, 80 or ninety percent over here. All I have to do over here on the big side is take ten percent out of the eighty or ninety percent, and I've doubled the amount of time I've added to my work. Yeah, and I've doubled my capacity. <laughs> and it was like the light bulb went off." And, and when you look at this in business, it translates in, when you think of business process, like you said, your value mm-hmm. stream map from customer to deliver a product or even payment of product. I think there's so much for us to learn in utilizing those same uh, uh, processes to really transform the way we do business by allowing people to do more of what they really want to be doing Mm -hmm. and less of the non-value added work right yeah so when you're back there doing that first one or some subsequent things when you've done value stream mapping what are some of the things you really learned by doing that and then working with the people through the value stream and understanding you can't get a room full of managers together and expect to get the answers you have to get the people who are doing the work to participate in this activity because they're going to know where all the um the hidden gems are yes yes that's a good point the managers just need they can just stay home they can stay stay home or stay in their office because the people doing the work are the ones that that know Mm -hmm. and uh it's always interesting to me how you can have two departments working side by side. And this is in manufacturing or in business 
working side by side. It could be sales and then customer service, or it could be, you know, a CNC machining and some deeper or assembly operation after it. And, and they don't know the first operation doesn't know that they're, they're causing a bunch of extra work for the second operation until you do these value stream maps. Exactly. And sometimes it's a simple, you, you, and it can be in manufacturing, it can be um, in a service, it can be in, you know, data management. It's like, if, if only I knew this, if only I had this information, um, then XYZ would happen, or it, this would be so much easier. And it's like, well, I had that information. I just didn't know you needed it. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, yes. And when you look at some of the things, the simple format changes or, or including something like you said, that, that would help the next, the next step in the process. Uh -huh. um, and when you add all those little changes up, the incremental change in, in the, what you've done with your business or your processes you're working on can be pretty significant. Yes. Yeah. So as, as you're talking with people about lean manufacturing, uh, when you're, when you're out and about, do you think that most people are now taking the lean uh, manufacturing and moving it into their business processes or there's still a, a tremendous opportunity to look at their businesses that way i think that there's still I, I think that there is an attempt but there's still a long way to go and i think that most people still think that lean is only for manufacturing and i don't think that's the case no. because there's so much that we can do, even if you're a service provider like Thermanco, you know, mm -hmm. we're a service provider. We can still apply lean principles in our day-to-day -day work. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is an electronic 5S. So if you're going to um, organize, and this, this is a, a simple example, but you're going to organize your archives of your documents. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've got you've Great got example. processes or you've got customer information, anything at all. First of all, I would never save it on my hard drive. I always would save it to the cloud because my hard drive can fail mm -hmm. or I may need to share that information with a teammate who is remotely located. So I want to have it on, on the cloud mm -hmm. and I want to have it um, very, you know, I want to have an agreement among the team of how we're going to archive our documents. So yes, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, but we'd have, you know, some sort of file structure. And then something as simple as um, individual document naming convention. Yes. So because the very the most simple thing that we're trying to do is make those files, those documents um, locatable. Mm -hmm. So if if we're not following a an agreed upon convention for naming these documents, how am I ever going to locate them? Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's say that you and I are in business together and you go on a fishing trip for a week and you, you, you and I didn't agree on how to name and archive our documents. And while you're fishing, the customer needs something. I can't find your files. Mm -hmm. That customer is going to be very disappointed. Yeah. That they've got to wait, which they shouldn't have to. Exactly. Yeah. But if we have done a five S and we're <laughs> and we're, yep. we're the last one is sustained, if we are sustaining, <laughs> then um then I will be able to easily locate your dot the document you prepared for this customer and satisfy their needs. Yep. Yep. And that's, that is a, an awesome example of, of two things. 
One is it's not just physical. All this the organization is a lot of this, and especially in business. And and Karen, Karen's from Texas as, as well. But she says, what do you think the cause of the disconnect between lean manufacturing and applying lean principles in business? Mm. What do you think about that? Do you think so? Can you bring the question up again? Please? Yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, okay. it's a good one. The disconnect. I think that probably it's a couple of different things. Number one is understanding what the principles actually are. And the mm -hmm. second one is... Um, adoption yeah. adoption of those principles for yeah. the um the, the specific um application of whichever yeah. principle it is yeah because i think it, it yeah, doesn't have to be hard but no. it, it can take a while because yeah. you know we all are averse to change mm -hmm. yeah and I think that too, and, and to answer Karen's questions a little bit differently as well, is people think that lean manufacturing is for them out there in the plant. Oh, that's, yes, that's all. They think it's for them out there in the plant. And then you and then you go, wow, it would work in the in in all the all the areas of the business. Well, that's for them out there because they're they're doing, you know, all the, the spaghetti mapping and value stream and all this stuff. And we're we're five Sing and you've made a you made an incredible uh, example of electronic 5S, which could, I literally, that one step alone in like in an engineering firm or someone that's using a lot of data could save thousands of hours in a year and, and ultimately make their company so much more efficient. But I think the, and, and I think applying those same principles in the business setting is because the one thing you said too is, we may have too many managers in the the business part of it <laughs> that don't want to get out of the way and let the process get better. But uh, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. I think that if you haven't seen it happen, you do not really understand the power of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes people think that it's expensive to, yeah. Oh, we can't, we can't change this or you know we can't adopt this lean principle because it'll be expensive we'll have to buy new equipment that's yeah. also not necessarily true i had a supplier in the seattle area that adopted an andon system which is just an indicator um red yellow green you know what is your status at a particular station mm -hmm. by distributing solo cups throughout their plant and yes. how cheap is that yeah but that's that's their that was their solution and yeah. it worked yeah and you know they didn't have to go and install these expensive lamps and all that no they yes. just they just gave everybody red yellow green solo cups yeah it, it, and it can it can be very simple. And like you said, when when you're talking about the lean business process, one of the things that I always like to see when we're when we're doing that with a client, and and I talked about before we were on because we've got a healthcare client now that we're doing the value stream uh, mapping of of a patient journey from the beginning to end, and and we're seeing that the the kind of things that you find out about your business mm -hmm. you will probably never discover until you do a value stream map of of something you know either an order running through and products getting produced or services or whatever it is mm -hmm. coming out and and until you get paid and you will often find that there are things that are hanging you up along the way yes. that are that are stretching that to take tremendously longer than it needs to really take and when you mm -hmm. focus on those things and when you look at trying to, to develop competitive advantages, speed is one that has always throughout my career been something that if you can do it faster and you do it with lean principles in mind, and it doesn't matter in manufacturing or in services or anything, you, by doing it with the lean approach, you're going to 
more than likely, because it can be without, but more than likely, you're going to have to have very high quality. Yes. Simple processes. And, and, and with the standard work that goes across, you can do things oftentimes in significantly shorter lead times than others can at lower cost than others Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. And when you combine those two things in business, this is where I think that the real opportunity is missed by people that don't adopt this and jump into it because what would it mean to your company if you could go, if your lead time was 30, 50% less than your competitors? And oh, by the way, you can produce it at, you know, the same price or a little bit less if you need to and make more money at that. Yes. Yes. And your, and your margins were better than your competitors. I mean, it puts, it it really puts you into a situation where everyone else is going to be trying to catch up. I completely agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're, as you're, when you've been helping people with lean manufacturing and talking about it, what are some of the examples of kind of, I mean, the red, yellow, green solar cup is cool. I got, I wrote that down because that's so cool. What are the cool things have you seen when you've been talking to people and helping them with this? Um, another good example, I think, would be identifying your um, what what are your key metrics? Yeah. What what's you know because you're going to improve what you measure, and so you're going to identify um, what's really important to your business. And if you if you don't know, for example, whether, you know, your inventory inventory is turning two or three times a year or more or mm-hmm. not at all, not at all, yeah. <laughs> then um, how, how are you going to uh, run your business? Yes. Um, yeah. Or yeah, are, are you um, are you over producing? something and that can go for manufacturing or for a service industry too Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if you know again from the service side if i'm producing all of this content um maybe emails or reports or presentations that nobody cares about that's waste and Mm -hmm. i can stop it right now and do something more productive yeah and yeah. then there's over-processing. So if in the manufacturing environment, you know, am I over-inspecting? Am I spending a lot of time over-inspecting and, and mm-hmm. over-processing my, my product? And in the service environment, am I, am I passing this document around for review and approval and review and approval and review and approval way too much? Does it really need to be, you know, sent up to the third vice president of whatchamacallit before it gets released? Yeah. The, or can no my doubt. manager just say, yeah, that looks pretty good. Just send it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, you just hit a couple of them there. Oh, my goodness. That the overprocessing. Yes. And, and the, such a poignant example right there. Of, of a document that takes 47 signatures for it to be approved when one could do, or you need input from 72 people uh, and, and listen, when, when 71 of them don't care, it really don't, doesn't need 72 people. Yes. <laughs> uh, such good, such good stuff here. But Karen has a couple of other great questions here, so oh. we're going to share those. <laughs> It is said that businesses are missing opportunities for customer self-service that would improve customer experience and improve efficiency. How would you sell this idea to an organization that wants to ensure customers get personalized service and are hesitant to make the transaction? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Self-service. I, I like the idea of having a customer portal and mm-hmm. letting customers be able to um, have that interaction. So if there's something where customers can can get access to frequently asked questions, um, resources like 
you know, some sort of manuals, documents, you know, reports, things like that, where they can get access to solve their own problems. They don't want to be waiting around for somebody to call them back either. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. Um, If there are other examples of that type of self-service, I'm not thinking of them immediately, but I'm sure there are other examples. Well, it's simple. Like those are great examples. And if you Mm -hmm. could say like the ordering of replacement product, Mm, if you can use mm -hmm. an e-commerce solution for ordering replacement product, but you made an awesome point because some people want to do that. Some people do want to talk to a customer service person. So I think for these companies that are hesitant to move that way, they, it's like, it's not all of one or the other. It's not a hundred percent or hundred percent. It's like we give both options because honestly, the people that buy are a wide variety of people. Some will want that. Some will need that kind of immediate mm-hmm. and, and some won't care. They want to talk to somebody or do it. But I think it's really about giving that personalized service to the individual rather than saying, well, our customers and generalizing like mm-hmm. to do it this way. Yeah, you know, they got all kinds of varied ways that they want to do it and give them the option that suits them because truly that's what leading edge companies are doing. They don't care. How do you want to get, how do you want to order? You want to order on Amazon? You want to order from our website? You want to order from Walmart? You want to order from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know, our affiliates? Do you want to buy replacement parts at one of our distributors uh, because it's down the street from you? You want to support them or you want to buy from us online? It's it's all these ways that people are doing this and the same thing with service and, and how they do it. I just think that getting people to realize that their customers are not all the same. And if you give them more options, you'll probably uh, see people using them. That That is excellent. Excellent suggestions. Yeah. And then she had one final question. How would a newer small company establish what metrics are or should be? Awesome. Awesome question. So I think that, um, number one, is it a metric that could be defined in a specification, like an engineering specification. Um, Second thing is, is there an industry um, um, standard? So if you know, for example, like on-time delivery, um, does, is there an industry standard for, for that? Um, Or does, does you, does your company have a goal to mm-hmm. set for whatever this metric is? So mm-hmm. whether it's how many calls are being processed per minute in the call center or standard wait time to have that call answered or how many, um, orders for part number XYZ123 mm-hmm. um, are being taken each month. What, you know, whatever yeah. that metric is, um, there are some general rules of thumb yeah. that, that you can probably find. If yeah. not, there are probably some industry associations that you can look to, to try and find them. Yeah. And then the one thing I'll tell you, my, my golden trio of, of metrics that I always try to any client that we work with, they're going to know, they're going to know their top line sales. They're going to know their gross margin. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't care about what the net income is or anything like that on metrics because most people in the business don't have any control over that fixed part, what we spend in administrative costs and rent and all that other stuff, right? So we just make sure that our revenue minus the cost to produce it, we know what that gross margin is because that's what people that are going to be looking at this can actually do. And I know this mm-hmm. is scary to some business owners, founders sometimes mm-hmm. don't like to share that. Trust me, if you educate people on the fact that it costs you a million dollars a month in fixed costs to run it, when they see $250,000 a month or three or $400,000 a week or whatever the day or whatever you're doing, uh, they will not freak out over how much money it is. 
they'll understand that this is, you know, you're, you're running a business. You have to make a return on your investment and educating people in your company. You will be able to share the numbers, but gross margin revenue and gross margin are the first two that we always do because mm -hmm. they are so important for your business long-term. Because mm -hmm. if you're not generating enough money, you won't be there around the long-term. Well, and that just makes me realize that different people in different parts of the company are going to be tied in to different metrics. Yes. And that is that that is why the next ones and some of them that you were talking about are very applicable. And we see these things in in e-commerce. It could be the uh, pick to pack time. Mm -hmm. How long does it take me to get the item off the shelf and the order out the door? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing in e-commerce. It's like, how much do you do that? Or you look at tack times, even, even when you look yep. at beginning of order start to end of order start, you might say that, hey, we want every order from the time we touch it until the time it's ready to ship. How many hours? That could be something from an operational perspective. There's, but in the, in the, and I keep, I always, I'm trying to not say, but so much because I don't want to negate what before. And there's so many other things that, that you can do we need to realize that if you get more than about four or five, it's too many. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you always have to keep going. Does that really going to help us? Is it really going to help us? Or, or are one of these other ones going to, to give us what we want instead? That's why they're key performance indicators. Yes. Yes. There we go. And I just want to say, Ira's here. Thanks for stopping in today, Ira. So, uh, Karen, thanks for the thanks for the kind words on that. I mean, it's it's so much fun uh, having the great questions and Angela just being here to to talk about this. But Angela, we've gone fifty one minutes now, and I feel like we could go. I know, I, I know. It's like it's like okay, we're just getting started, but we're not. Thank you so much. Now, if people. Thank you so much for being here because I knew this was going to be an awesome conversation. I knew it was going to be great just hearing you talk about your experience about women in manufacturing. And if anyone wants to know, you are the membership director. Membership director and treasurer. And treasurer for women in manufacturing, the Texas chapter, which you've got over a thousand members. And listen, reach out to Angela for that if you're interested in that. But how can people get a hold of you, Angela? So they can find me on LinkedIn um, or they can email me at Angela at Thermanco.com. Awesome. Awesome. Angela, it was a pleasure. Oh, as always. My pleasure as well, Damon. Thank you so, so much. So much fun having you on. I mean, I knew I was excited about this. I was excited to talk with you about this because I knew you'd be an awesome guest. And you have not disappointed at all in the least ever. <laughs> oh, thank you. You ever oh. want to talk about lean some more? Just let me know. <laughs> we, we might. We might. I just just thank you so much. And I want to thank Karen for being here, asking awesome questions. Ira dropping in. And yes, we're Karen again. She said big shout out to Wimbers in Texas nationwide. And, and thanks so much. We'll hang out for just a minute, Angela. We're going to shut this down and we'll talk for a moment. Thanks okay. everyone for being here today. Bye-bye.